Patients often come to me and they say, oh, I can't lose weight because I have a bad knee or hip and I can't exercise. And I like to tell them right then that that's not, in many cases, how you're going to lose weight. I've found with the patients that I see and my own experience that it's going to be dietary. That was Dr. Michael Parks, associate attending at the Hospital for Special Surgery, an associate professor of clinical orthopedic surgery at Weill Cornell Medicine. Dr. Parks is a leading expert on orthopedic problems for patients with obesity. You're listening to Weight Matters, where we unpack the science behind our weight, why it matters, and the effects it has on our health, psychology, and society. This season, join Drs. Louis Aroni and Katherine Saunders, leading experts in the field of obesity medicine and co-founders of IntelliHealth as they tackle the many ways weight impacts our broader health, and along with experts in the field, explore innovative strategies for preventing and treating obesity. In this episode, Dr. Parks explains the correlation between obesity and arthritis, especially in individuals requiring a total knee or hip replacement. He also shares some of the challenges and risk factors that come with operating on patients with obesity. And he explains how weight loss can lead to better health outcomes after a joint replacement. We're glad to have you along for this journey. There's a lot to discuss, so let's dive in. Welcome, everybody, to the Weight Matters podcast. Uh, I'm Dr. Louis Roney. I'm here with Dr. Katherine Saunders, and it is our uh, pleasure and honor to have with us Dr. Michael Parks. Dr. Parks is an associate attending at the Hospital for Special Surgery, an associate professor of clinical orthopedic surgery at Weill Cornell Medicine in New York City. He's a graduate of Duke University and uh, the Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston. He completed his internship in general and thoracic surgery and then an orthopedic residency at Duke and continued his training at the Hospital for Special Surgery with a fellowship in hip and knee. And Dr. Parks is recognized as one of the world's experts on orthopedic problems in patients with obesity and has done some of the most important research looking into the risks of obesity in orthopedic surgery and ways to minimize that risk. So, Michael, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you both for having me. So let's start out talking about obesity and arthritis. What do you see as the relationship? What are the key things our listeners should be thinking about? Well, patients often come in, uh, whether they're obese or not, and they ask me, well, how did I get this? And so I tell them that obesity is multifactorial. There are many causes. So some people are just going to get it. They're genetic. I mean, they're just outliers and they get it for no reason. There are other people that may get it because it's been inherited through their parents, their siblings, they have it, and there's some genetic component. There's also a mechanical component, whether people were runners or athletic in the past, or in our case, there's a tremendous association uh, with obesity. And we're not sure exactly what the direct relationship is, but there is uh, 
some knowledge that with increasing weight for every pound gain, there's about a two to four increase uh, in weight on the joint with activity. And there is also an increased risk for osteoarthritis or wear and tear arthritis on the joint. So there are a lot of different factors that contribute to arthritis in patients. It's great to hear you talk about arthritis like this because this is exactly how we describe obesity to our patients who come in thinking that it's willpower, thinking that they've done something wrong. And so we spend a lot of time talking to them about the contribution of genetics, the contribution of lifestyle, the contribution of you know insulin resistance, sleep apnea, so many different factors. So it seems like there are many similarities between the development of arthritis and the development of obesity. When patients come to you asking what they can do to prevent progression of arthritis, do you find that there's sort of a threshold or milestone BMI above which patients are at much higher risk of having joint damage? Or is it kind of a dose response type relationship? Oh, I love that question. Well, it's interesting. So as a matter of fact, one of the other hats that I wear is I serve on the board of directors and as treasurer of the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgery. And actually just last week, we released an information statement that's available on the website, aaos.org, on obesity and musculoskeletal care. And as far as it relates to joint arthritis, we discussed this. And from data from the uh, Canadian registry, it was noted that for patients developing arthritis and the need to undergo a total knee arthroplasty, they were 8.5 times higher for individuals with a BMI greater than 30 kilograms per meter and 18 times higher for patients with a BMI of 35 and 32 times higher for BMI greater than 40. So basically what that means to the average individual is if you're just mildly obese and you're, that would be a BMI over 30, then you know, you're about eight to 10 times at risk. But as your obesity increases, you go up to about 32 times likely developing arthritis and the need for arthritis. So I would say that the need for total knee replacement. So that shows to me that there is a pretty clear relationship between the magnitude of obesity the development of osteoarthritis, and then the progression to a need for total knee replacement. Is the thinking that that's purely mechanical, that it's weight-related, or is it also possible that there's an inflammatory component to, to this? Because we know that with an increase in uh, fat mass, there's an increase in inflammation. What's the role of that? I think that in the orthopedic literature, most of our literature has concentrated on mechanical loading as the cause for the deleterious effect on uh, weight-bearing joints and the loss of cartilage. But I think, as you well know, there's probably an inflammatory component, and it's not so clearly just related to weight gain, but there's probably inflammation and destruction of cartilage in patients that plays a role as well. So once again, I think we're going to go back to how we started this conversation, that this is a multifactorial cause for arthritis in these patients. 
So interesting. There's so much that we still don't know. So one of the things that we talk to our patients about is that age itself, not just obesity, age itself is a risk factor for arthritis. So all of us, no matter what our weight may be, are at greater risk of arthritis as we get older. Obviously, we can't slow down aging or we can't slow down aging yet. We'll see what some of these aging studies show. But besides losing weight, are there other mechanisms or other strategies that patients can try to prevent joint damage, especially if they have obesity and they're having a hard time losing weight? What are the best things that people can do to slow down this process? Well, the first thing I I recommend, obviously, as both of you know, is the weight loss. And I ask patients, I tell them when they say they can't lose weight or they have tried and it just hasn't worked, I tell them that if they had problems with something else, they'd get help. So I ask them to seek out help and to find someone to help them with weight loss, whether it's a physician or a program, because given the clear connection between obesity and arthritis, that, you know, that's probably a good starting step. In terms of activity, I ask patients to think about uh, the types of activity that they have. So if they're engaging in high-impact activities, running, jumping, that's probably going to cause progression of osteoarthritis. When you run or jump, you are putting multitudes of uh, force or magnitudes, multiples of your weight on that joint and causing that to go against that cartilage and probably ultimately increasing the destructive effect. If you're doing something that is less impactful on your joint, doesn't put as much weight like walking as opposed to running or jumping, bicycling, swimming, an elliptical, those are things that will allow patients aerobic exercise, but not have the same deleterious effects on the joint. So I ask patients to think about this type of activity modification if they're going to be active. And I also tell them, probably most importantly, to listen to their body. So if they're doing something that's bad for their joint, it's probably painful. This progression of arthritis is painful. It's not without uh, symptoms, so they would notice it. And so if they're uncomfortable, then they're probably doing something that they shouldn't be doing. Yeah. How do you bring up the topic of weight with your patients because it's it's a subject like we're so used to talking about it you know as obesity medicine specialists people come to us because of it but a lot of physicians are hesitant to bring that up as the cause of some of the health problems that the patient is having what do you do to get over that hump and bring that discussion up what's interesting uh, one of the surgeons here as a patient of mine several years ago was wheeling into the operating room, said to me, where do you find these patients? This was a patient that uh, had a weight problem that I was going to operate on. And I said to him, I think they find me, they're comfortable. And so I think as someone who's had my own issues with weight, I'm just comfortable addressing it and bringing out with the patients and having a frank, not judgmental, but just frank conversation about weight because it is an important part from an orthopedic perspective. It influences our ability to help patients. We know that as patients have increasing BMI, there are complications that go along with the surgery that I perform. And so as part of informing patients of what I can do, I also have to inform them of the limitations of that. And I think that part of the shared decision-making process is that they have to understand that they play a role in that if they're able to 
help with this modifiable risk factor, and I'll come back to that term, I choose that carefully, but this modifiable risk factor, and if they're able to even bring their weight down some, then perhaps that will decrease some of the foreseeable complications that we may encounter as we choose to go forward with an operative procedure. And uh, I use the term modifiable because I don't think that there's clear data to show from a surgical perspective long-term that we are affecting outcomes in what we do in our patients. So I think that we certainly help them, but I think that we need to do more to document that going forward. But for now, I do think that we are able to help patients who lose weight in a better fashion. I was really touched by the article in the New York Times that was published in 2016 that highlighted both you and Dr. Aroni, where there was a focus on your willingness to operate on patients with a higher BMI and patients' experience seeing other providers who may not be as sensitive to patients' weight or may have a lot of weight bias. You told a story about a 37-year-old woman who had seen another surgeon who told her that she was too fat and needed to go on a diet. How many of your patients would you say have had experiences like this prior to seeing you? Is this something that you hear quite a bit? I hear this quite frequently. I just discharged three patients today who had a similar story that basically were operated on yesterday for total hip and knee replacements and went home today. Uh, It's very common. I think there is uh, certainly bias in orthopedic surgery and in medicine in general toward uh, these patients. So it's our goal to try to work together with these patients to help everyone and provide equitable care to everyone that we see. Yes, absolutely true. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of bias against people with obesity. And uh, I've heard that there are hospitals that won't operate on somebody with severe levels of obesity. And I, I know that you do, and that's one reason why we have we refer so many patients to you is that you get great outcomes and you have a, a certain way with the patients. But what are the risks? What, what are the concerns about patients with a BMI of 40 and above? What are the surgeons concerned about? Well, we have to also realize that we're in a time now where everyone in medicine is measured by outcomes. And even the way that doctors are considered, who's a good doctor, are we good, or we're reimbursed by what we're able to do for our patients and whether things go smoothly, how quickly we can get them out to the hospital and get them on their feet and whether or not they have complications. Well, if you look at obese patients, just starting out, 30% of obese patients undergoing total knee replacements have at least three medical problems like diabetes, coronary artery disease, hyperlipidemia, hypertension, sleep apnea, compared with only 7% of non-obese patients. So they have these medical problems that we have to contend with. And they could have post-operative complications related to just their medical issues that they have. And Then there is the uh, operative part. Operating on a person who is very, very large is also technically challenging. So it's going to be longer. 
It's going to be more difficult. We have to expose, as an orthopedic surgeon, the hip or the knee. We have to see what we're doing. And then once we've got that exposure, there is also the risk of technical errors, putting in the hip or the knee in a poor position because it's much more difficult in someone who has a BMI that's really high as opposed to someone who's very, very thin. There's the potential for higher blood loss, longer time in the operating room. There's also the expense associated with needing specific equipment that goes with uh, doing the surgery in these individuals. We need bigger instruments. We need specific instruments to transfer them and people to help with that. So there are certainly a lot of considerations that go into operating on people who are larger. And then once they're out of the operating room, the final consideration is that there may be less satisfactory outcomes and even potential complications. Some of the earlier literature said that Patients that were obese didn't do as well after hip or knee replacement. So the thought was, why even replace them? I'm happy to report that out of our institution, we've looked at outcomes in both hip and knee patients, and we found comparable outcomes for high BMI patients to patients with low BMI. So I think that that still requires more research in it, and we need to find out why there's such a vast difference in the research that exists. But we also know that there are higher rates of wound complications, particularly in hip replacement patients. Patients that have a lot of adipose tissue, they tend to drain. And when you have something that can come out of a wound, I tell patients that means something can get into a wound. And that equates to a higher infection rate in these high BMI patients. And in my field in total joint replacement, an infection is a devastating outcome. So with these potential downsides to surgery on high BMI patients, it would be easier to just operate on thinner patients, have them quickly in the hospital to go home the same day, to then operate on another patient and not have the potential for the adverse outcome. And there's been a term that's not very good, but it's used in the literature, cherry picking and lemon dropping. And it is the associated with uh, physicians who seem to take those patients who are easier to operate on with potential for good outcomes and a quick turnover and to move on to the next one and to avoid those patients who need more care, more hand-holding, more specialized interest for the uh, easier patients. Well, Dr. Parks, thank you very much for not cherry picking and lemon dropping and helping so many of our patients. We can't tell you how much we appreciate that and how it's such a pleasure to send patients to you and and have them report such a wonderful experience. And congratulations for your great numbers, despite taking on more difficult cases. I'd love to understand a little bit more about what we can do and what patients can do to reduce their surgical risk or reduce their post-operative risk. We see many patients who come to our practice either referred by their surgeon or they come on their own because they want to lose weight before surgery. And I know that certain hospitals actually have programs in place to recommend weight loss before procedures. Is there a certain percentage weight loss or is there a certain amount of time? You know, sometimes patients will come and see us a week before surgery and, you know, how much can we really do in a week? So is there a certain amount of time before the surgery and a certain amount of weight loss before surgery that's correlated with better outcomes? 
Well, we have, uh, as you are aware, uh, here at Hospital for Special Surgery, a medical optimization program. And that's a program where if someone comes with a high BMI, you, uh, Dr. Aroni, or one of your colleagues will see the patient and work with them in an effort to lose weight. And I stress to the patients that they don't have to come in and be thin. This is about them, one, being engaged, and two, about the change, about them losing weight. And so I think that although the jury is still out, there is still clear evidence that patients that have medical and surgical weight loss, well, I know from my experience there is a technically easier operation to be done, but they're going to bring themselves down from those high-risk categories. So we know that patients that have BMI, whether it's 40 or 45, and the literature in orthopedics vacillates between that number, but when we get over a BMI of 40 or 45, the complications vastly increase in terms of risk. So Patients that are able to bring their weight down bring themselves into a lower risk category. And I don't give patients a number. I always tell them that I'm going to leave that up to you. But generally, patients will lose 5 even 10% of their body weight. And it allows us then to meet the requirements of many insurance companies of our own hospital and to proceed with surgical treatment. That's really interesting because we've seen, and it's well documented in the literature, that a 5 to 10% weight loss improves many of the uh, complications that we associate with obesity. And here we see that the uh, risk of orthopedic surgery can be reduced as well with a relatively modest weight loss which is very uh, exciting to hear. You know, one of the problems that we've run into, frankly, is that people get referred too soon or, or just before they're having the procedure, and we would like to have more time to get them to lose enough weight to, to get that benefit. Do you see any way to get that straightened out so that the surgical team knows in advance or can hold the surgery until we can get that weight loss accomplished? I think that's going to have to be by increased awareness among the surgeons because you have the competing interests. The patient wants to get the surgery done because they have the painful joint and that's the problem. And they don't, many instances, don't see their weight as a problem. And many people are not aware, even after our discussion, they just don't see the direct connection between the potential adverse outcomes and their weight. And I think it's increasingly important for us as surgeons to stress to patients that this weight loss makes, one, the surgery easier, and two, the potential for complications less. And so we're going to have to make that effort to send patients earlier and to educate the patients about the need and the importance for weight loss and not to rush to surgical treatment to treat the symptoms until the patient is optimized. I didn't realize how many patients, the Hospital for Special Surgery, which just does orthopedic surgery, how many patients a year you see with the high BMI for joint replacement, but it's in the hundreds. Yes, and increasing as the problem increases nationally. Wow. Going back to patients who aren't necessarily 
surgical candidates or not necessarily surgical candidates yet. I love that you said each pound of weight correlates to two to four pounds of pressure on the joints. I don't know where I first learned that, but I I tell my patients that all the time. We see so many patients who come to us at a high weight and, you know, it's just very uncomfortable or very painful for them to exercise. So, you know, it's, it's reassuring for us to be able to say, well, even losing five pounds could be 20 pounds of pressure off your joints. So great to hear those numbers. I think that's a lot of hope for our patients. I'd like to add that patients often come to me and they say, oh, I can't lose weight because I have a bad knee or hip and I can't exercise. And I like to tell them right then that that's not, in many cases, how you're going to lose weight. I've found with the patients that I see and my own experience that it's going to be dietary. And then patients that are most successful are going to start by working with you or someone like you in terms of their diet. And then those patients that do really well are able to add on some physical activity. But patients who just have a knee replacement or a hip replacement have no modification in their diet. They have been shown not to lose weight. So I think that people need to understand that it's not just activity related. Weight loss is a comprehensive task and it it starts with the diet and exercise. That's such a great point. I think it's different kind of with weight loss and weight gain. I think with weight gain, it's it's such a vicious cycle of having a joint problem leading to weight gain. The weight gain can make the joint problem worse. But, you know, the other way, when we take a look at data of diet versus exercise for weight loss, it's really, as you said, so much more about diet and exercise certainly helps, but to a much smaller extent. So it's really something that we talk to our patients about quite a bit when they say, oh, I just can't lose weight because I can't exercise anymore. And in the past, when I was younger, I could lose so much weight by going to the gym multiple times a week. And so encouraging them to not be discouraged by that and to to really start off by adjusting dietary factors and potentially starting medications, if that's appropriate, um, is a great place to start. And then things get much, much easier. Do you find for patients who aren't necessarily surgical candidates yet that as they lose weight and take pressure off their joints, there's sort of a goal or a percentage of weight loss or, you know, a milestone sort of number that is helpful? Or is it, again, sort of a dose response and the more the better when you're taking pounds off your joints? I think the more the better, because quite frankly, In most of the high BMI patients, it doesn't change what I have to do or how difficult it is. Theoretically, it changes the risk because, again, those patients, as we can bring them closer, uh, hopefully below 40 or 45, we reduce their risk. But it doesn't change technically what I have to do. Right. So one last question. Now, your institution has started a weight program. And uh, one of our former fellows, Dr. Caroline Andrew, has come over there and is managing patients of of yours and uh, the other orthopedic surgeons to try to um, be able to handle the volume that you have. And I was just wondering how that effort is going. I think that things are going very well. The challenge, again, is probably the issue that you mentioned. Patients come here, this is a surgical hospital, and they want surgery. And so I think that probably her challenge is that we as surgeons don't give her enough time. But with time and her management, I think that the patients are very successful. It is becoming increasingly busy. And as our numbers of patients 
increase that are obese and as the awareness of what she can do to help spreads, then it has been a little bit more difficult getting patients in. But the success of what she's doing is certainly there. And I think that our abstract that we've just submitted to the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgery uh, for both hip and knee replacements, showing the uh, good outcomes of patients that have had hip and knee replacements, documents that uh, from a scientific standpoint. That's wonderful. The, the data so far has been great. And yes, I've heard similar um, feedback from Dr. Andrew that she often wishes that she has more time with the patients before the procedure to help them as much as possible, but the limitations are everything that we mentioned. The other thing that we didn't um, bring up yet that I just wanted to add is that it's so important when we're counseling patients or when you're counseling patients or when Caroline is counseling all of her patients to really focus on and not just the weight loss before the procedure in terms of reducing complications and having better outcomes, but the need for ongoing weight management after the procedure is done. Because my concern is that so many of these patients, you know, are very motivated to lose weight before the procedure, but then end up, you know, stopping their weight treatment afterwards and, and regaining. And then that leads to a whole nother set of problems. So I think we just have a big job for, you know, us to educate patients on, on the need for ongoing weight management after the joint procedure. Absolutely. Well, I th think we've covered a lot of topics today and I want to thank you Dr. Parks, for being with us. Uh, we're very excited to have had you on, and uh, we hope that we'll be able to see you uh, again in the near future, or talk to you in the near future. Maybe we'll even have you uh, live and in person. I mean, that's it's crazy to think about that after two years, but that would be wonderful. But on behalf of Dr. Saunders and myself, thanks again. And to our listeners, thank you for listening. Thank you, Dr. Parks. This was wonderful. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to Weight Matters. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. To learn more about how Dr. Saunders and Dr. Aroni are working to transform specialized treatments for chronic conditions through the best in medical science and advanced technologies, visit IntelliHealth.co backslash podcast. And be sure to follow, rate, and review this show wherever you listen to podcasts. 